It's not that there's no yoke. It's just that the yoke is easy. In other words, the it, it gets lighter because the reason why you're still carrying a burden is because the picture there in Matthew 11, 28 is a picture of a big ox and a little ox plowing the field. So when he says yoke, they would yoke up the ox in order to plow the field. And he's saying, if the little ox tries to carry the burden of the big ox, then the field will not get plowed. The little ox job is to let the big ox carry the burden while the big ox teaches the little ox how to plow the field. That's why it says, learn from me. He, Jesus wants you to learn from him. He wants you to allow him to carry the weight and the burden, but he's still using you as the vehicle to get it done in the physical. So because he's still using you as the vehicle through which he works to get it done in the, in the, in the physical, you will not, not have a burden at all your burden will just be lighter because you know that the outcome belongs not to you, it belongs to God. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. We'd love to hear how these episodes have helped you. After rating, would you share your story in the review section of your preferred podcast app? Our team at Reframing Ministries loves to hear stories of hope and healing, and now we've played a small part in them. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Welcome to another Reframing Ministries podcast, where I hope to provide encouragement for your soul that gives you strength for today and hope for tomorrow. My guest today is going to speak into your life like very few people have spoken into your life. He writes in his new book, Fighting Your Battles, every Christian's, every Christian's playbook for victory. He says, everybody has some kind of battle. My dad, Tony Evans, says, you're either in a battle, you are on your way to a battle, or you just came out of a battle. I've been going through some things recently, losing seven family members to sudden death or long-term disease in less than two years. I've been challenged to think about what it means to fight God's way. And in my book, I would like to process with you what I have been learning about the battles that we all face. My guest, Jonathan Evans, is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, hooray, and has a master's degree in Christian leadership. He is a husband, father of five, a mentor, author, speaker, former NFL fullback, and currently the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys and co chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks. Way to go, Jonathan. That's an amazing. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here and glad to be with your company. Well, I'm telling you what, fighting your battles, that's just a whole, that's a whole world that most of us have entered into. And like your dad said, either you're fighting one, you're in one, or you're going to be in one. Talk to me about you before you faced so many of the things that you have faced in the last few years. Who was that Jonathan versus who you are now? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think about, it's almost like Joshua, all of the successes and all of those things coming up to Jericho and then after Jericho losing to AI. And when you have that loss, it puts you back in a, a humble position. It puts you in a position to recognize how much you need God and how much maybe you've been ignoring him in the past, how much you've been kind of riding the wave of his grace, riding the wave of his promises, kind of riding the waves of the good times, mm. and uh, and then becoming a little bit more self-sufficient 
and, and lacking the dependence that's needed to really accomplish his purposes in totality. And so I think that Jonathan before uh, now was a little bit um, more independent than he should have been, um, a little bit more uh, thankful, uh, definitely still doing what God has called me to do. Um, but God is definitely more necessary now. Um, he was always been necessary, but as far as me uh, bringing him into the picture, the way that I needed to have him in the picture and really depending on him, um, you know, the scenarios that I've gone through in my life, especially most recently, uh, brought our family down to its knees, uh, literally. Um, and so um, that's kind of the difference is when you go through something, it builds a dependency that you didn't realize you weren't operating in before. Hmm. That you needed. Oh, sorry about that. It's all right. Someone's calling. Do you find that um, as you look back, you talk about being in the hotel room in California with your dad and your mom, and he tells you mom has cancer. That C word, nobody wants to hear. Your independent place at that time, how did you respond? Well, just, in, I mean, it was pure shock. It's almost like somebody rubbed icy hot all over my body. I didn't know what to feel, what to think. All the geese on my arms took flight. Uh, I like to say, I mean, it was just a, a scenario of, you know, for us at that time, here we go again. You got to be kidding me. We had already lost maybe the six family members up to that time within six month increments. And then six months later or four months later, whatever the time increment was, we find out that my mom has terminal cancer. And then, you know, she may have eight months to a year left with us. And so it's it's just sudden. It's sudden shock. Um, and then it pulls you into a place where you just have all of these emotions. Uh, you have all of the emotions of grief, of anger, of pain, of doubt of um, disappointment, and they all hit you all at the same time. And then you have to work through that. You have to work through that, not just individually, but as a family, you have to work through it spiritually. Um, and then you have to figure out what victory really is. Because if you have a, a bad view of victory, it'll make you feel defeated when victory has actually been had. And I learned that through my mom's um, process, but also in her, in her death. You know, I really spent time with God really analyzing what victory really is, because I felt like the way we prayed, we did it, we did it biblically, you know, we were on our knees, we had people circling the house like Jericho, we had people praying all over the world, we, you know, we really uh, believe that the prayers of the righteous accomplish much, that if you pray according to his will, he will hear you, that if you pray believing, you will receive, I mean, all the scriptures, be anxious for nothing, but for prayer and supplication, make your request known, and God will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding, I mean, we went through uh, all of that, and then to feel like it didn't work. And um, I was pretty angry and pretty frustrated at God that in that moment, I felt like his word wasn't reigning true. And that's when, when I attacked his word is when he knocked on the door of my heart. Yeah. And he says, it's because you misunderstand victory. He said, he told me um, as it became a dialogue, as I was battling with him, um, that you prayed for your mom to be healed. And I just healed her eternally. You prayed like, but I didn't mom. pray that prayer. I wanted her to be healed here. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But he helped me to understand that you watched your mom die and that was hard for you. But what was it like for me to watch my perfect son die so she could live? You got to go back to your training and you got to go back to understanding what true victory is. Because there's not a man on the planet, man or woman on the planet, um, um, who does not die. So uh, this is not mutually exclusive to your mother, but there is people, there are people on the planet 
who do die eternally. And there are people on the planet who do live eternally based on whether they understand and have experienced my victory and you've experienced my victory. And so all of your prayers I have uh, responded to, I've responded to them eternally. Um, and I've given you what you wanted at a higher rate of return than what you were asking. It's just that you have a human mindset and you don't have um, um, the understanding as of right now that I'm trying to give you. How many times did you come to a passage in that wrestling, in that, like, I am so angry, God. How many times did you go, oh my gosh, this is what his word says. This is what I thought it meant. Now this is what, I mean, it's like your eyes being opened. Was yes, that over it, and over? It's it's definitely, it's, 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 it's the war between the spiritual and the physical, the war between you know, uh, the buy and the sweet buy and buy, as my dad would say, and the nasty here and now. And because you have to deal with those, that dichotomy on a consistent basis, not just in my life, but everybody's life, you always have to, uh, uh, to grapple, um, with those, with that dichotomy and really believing that if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. Romans eight twenty eight and, uh, Philippians one, six, God will complete the work that he started. I mean, all of these different things, you're more than a conqueror that you've been called redeemed, uh, delivered, justified Ephesians one. I mean, you, you kind of go in and you, and you, you remember your training and you think about all of those things, but sometimes the size of your giant will make you forget about the training that you've had your whole life. And so I talk about that, you know, uh, in the book too, as it relates to, you know, my son, you know, J2, his first time playing football. I sent him out there at eight years old. Yeah, I love and, that story. Uh, Tell that story. It's great. Yeah, he, I sent him out there at eight years old. And, uh, you know, and I thought eight years old is a good age to start because at that point, they're still hugging each other. You know, they're not really hitting <laughs> each other yet. They just hug and fall down. So I said, that's a good place to start. And uh, he got out on the field. And he just started analyzing his opponent. And he was like, look how big they are. Look how fast they are. And so he became like a grasshopper to himself because of how he was looking at them. And so he totally forgot about his talent because of the size of the, of the giant that he was facing. So I put the phone in front of his face and I showed him some highlights of the previous year when he was playing flag, he's scoring touchdowns, he's throwing touchdown passes, he, he's running past people because of his speed. I had to remind him of his calling and who he is because he forgot for a moment because of the size of his giant. And a lot of us will look at the size of our opponent, look at the size of our grief, look at the size of what we're going through, and we'll totally forget our calling and how big our God is who called us in order to be able to overcome what he's allowing us to go through. And I think that it's important that we remember our training in times of trials. Well, you pulled that picture up and that had to, I mean, perspective is everything, which is why we have reframing ministries. We have to reframe our human perspective into a godly, divine, heavenly focused one, or those giants are too big. And right. we, we fight. I love what you said about let me get to my page. Um, the thing is not the thing where you said many of you are dealing with health issues. You're dealing with financial issues. You're dealing with parenting, relation, addiction issues. Regardless of the battle, it's spiritual. The thing is not the thing. It's a spiritual <laughs> battle. Never do battle without God. So say more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Is that when we see uh, what's going on, 
uh, we deal with it. My dad would always say, if what you see is all you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. That everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. And so if you never get to the invisible and spiritual root, then you'll never address the visible physical cause that you're experiencing in your life. And so we get stuck on that and we don't realize uh, that there is a battle to be had. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that this battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of principalities, world forces of darkness, and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so basically there's something behind the veil. And a lot of times when you get caught up, here it is, when you get caught up um, only dealing with the physical, you fight physical with physical. In other words, you basically become Saul. What did Saul do? He offered David his armor because he figured you're supposed to fight heavy infantry with heavy infantry. So he was like, uh, if they're going to wear the armor, you need to look like the battle that you're facing. You need to approach the battle the way the battle the battle approaches you. So he was trying to get David to leave his training, leave his calling, leave his spiritual insight to take on the natural because of the natural sight that Saul had about the giant. But David had the spiritual temperament to understand that I do not leave my calling and I do not leave my training just because I'm facing a trial. I have to believe that the God who called me is the same God who can help me overcome. And that comes through uh, prayer, but that comes through acting out God's word in your circumstances and not letting your circumstances make you deny God's word. Okay, so uh, there is so much in there. That's a sermon in and of itself. Break that down for me because your dad said, if you're not on the spiritual or if you don't have the spiritual eyesight connected spiritually, then the battle you're facing physically is going to be lost. Talk about the steps as you grappled with that through so many losses, because there's emotions that get in there that can, that the enemy so loves to hijack your faith with. Yeah, no doubt about it. The Bible says the heart is the most deceitful of all and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so, you know, in American culture, they say, follow your heart. That's not what the word says. The word says, demand that your heart follow the truth. And that's how we have to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and knowing that it will not go in vain. And the verse actually says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, when I sign a book or uh, sign something, I always put that verse there because it says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord and know that your toil will not go in vain. So the expectation is that it's toil, it's a trial, it's hard, it, it, it has to be cultivated and developed, that steadfastness, because we want to follow our heart, we have an inclination to do what we feel, we have an inclination to let our feelings um, map out all of our discovery, which a lot of times blocks us from our destiny, instead of demanding that we stay faithful and steadfastness to God's word in that specific area, which is why I wrote this resource, because a lot of times people read the Bible and they just open it up, you know, they throw the Bible open, it falls down on the desk, and they say to themselves, well, I guess God wants me to read Jeremiah today, or I guess God wants me to read Proverbs. So they don't really know how to approach the Bible. And one of the great ways of approaching the Bible is figuring out what you're going through and dealing with and approaching the Bible on those specific subjects so that it can be uh, meaningful to you right where you are, which is why I wrote Fighting Your Battles. So anybody who's fighting one, or uh, or has come out of one and wants to be prepared for the next one or hasn't come into it yet 
and wants to make but sure the coming. foundation is built, yep. uh, it, uh, needs to make sure they get into it because the scripture references based on the examples will help you understand more clearly what to do spiritually um, and not just physically. I think you put it in your book where you were talking about um, running a play in football. So, because dad, my dad, we're Cowboy fans and we all, Monday Night Football, we always, I'm like, dad, what does that mean? So now I know about all these kind of plays and all that, but it's the training ahead of time. It's almost robotic because the neural pathways have been developed. That's right. I'm hearing you say, the playbook, which that's the subtitle, a playbook for your battles, is get into the word. And you just said, use it thematically. If you're going through suffering, go to those passages of suffering and get into what it says. I love that you also corrected the God won't give you more than you can handle, which is about temptation and it's not about trials. That's right. <laughs> you know, people... <laughs> You know, people run with that one and uh, and as kind of a mantra uh, that I'll be okay, but really it pulls on self-reliance. Uh, For sure. It makes you independent, that God will not allow me to be put in a situation that I can't, that I can't bear. So I'm certainly, I can bear it. So it's really a non-biblical phrase that people have been caught up in saying. Some people have gotten a tattooed on them and all that kind of stuff there. And really it's about trials, but he will provide, uh, excuse me, temptations, but he will provide a way of escape from a temptation, which leads to sin. Trials don't necessarily lead to sin. They're just hard times. And certainly if you were there to ask Job, he would let you know, yeah, definitely. This was a little bit much for me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, uh, it was a little overboard. Yeah, Paul said this was too much for me to bear in Corinthians. So um, so that's definitely not true. And we need to learn when it gets heavy um, how to fight the battles. And one of the ways that I talk about it is, you know, Second Chronicles 2015 says, the battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? That means that you don't, you're taking ownership of something that God wants to own. Now he'll let you own it if you want to be the owner so that you can see what it's like to be the owner of something you shouldn't be owning. But really he wants you to take the stewardship role of the battle that you're in, not the ownership role. And many people think stewardship is only for money, um, uh, materials, how you handle your family, things of that nature. No, stewardship is also for the hard times that you go through. Stewardship is also for the trials and the battles that you face, the marriage uh, issues, the, the children issues, the wayward child, the addiction issues. The, God wants to take ownership of that. And how do you know that you've given it, given it to God? Number one, you will no longer be burdened by it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me who are ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will no longer be burdened by it, and you no longer are trying to manipulate the outcome of it. Whenever you have relinquished manipulation of the outcome, which then relinquishes the burden, you know that you've really handed it over to God. Now that is hard. Very hard. Because I, I speak to a lot of caregivers. I am myself a caregiver and there is a weighted burden in every single day, the things that have to be done. And as I give that to the Lord, I do still feel a burden. So help us understand how to lift that off and say, this does belong to the Lord. I am serving, do as unto the Lord. 
what I'm doing today in caring for my son. Well, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let me make sure that I make this clear. Is It's not that there's no burden. Yeah. It's just that the burden is light. Yeah. It's not that there's no yoke. It's just that the yoke is easy. In other words, the it, it gets lighter because the reason why you're still carrying a burden is because the picture there in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is a picture of a big ox and a little ox plowing a field. So when he says yoke, they would yoke up the ox in order to plow the field. And he's saying, if the little ox tries to carry the burden of the big ox, then the field will not get plowed. The little ox job is to let the big ox carry the burden while the big ox teaches the little ox how to plow the field. That's why it says, learn from me. He, Jesus wants you to learn from him. He wants you to allow him to carry the weight and the burden, but he's still using you as the vehicle to get it done in the physical. So because he's still using you as the vehicle through which he works to get it done in the, in the, in the physical, you will not, not have a burden at all your burden will just be lighter because you know that the outcome belongs not to you. It belongs to God. And when you give him ownership of the outcome, when you give him ownership of, of the outcome of the marriage, the outcome of the wayward child, the outcome of the situation, the outcome of what's going to happen at the job, the outcome of, of whether the business survives or not, Lord, you do it. This is your business. This is your marriage. That is your child. It does not belong to me. I am not the owner of it. So you get to decide, use me as the vehicle, and I'll go with whatever direction you choose. Visit us at reframingministries.com for all of Colleen's interviews, articles, recommended resources, and more. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and receive our free five-day video devotional series where Colleen provides pointers for navigating daily life and struggles. Oh, that is so good, John. And I think about your words where you and your wife went through four miscarriages. And you talk about, in the book, about being on your knees saying, we got to have more faith. We, it, it's running out, God. You with us? And so those children were losses in y'all's life. Right. And yet, how did you and your wife process that together? Because that's so common. It, 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 absolutely. And we didn't even know it was common until we started having them. Right. Um, so, and that's one of the things is that the enemy will make you believe you're the only one, you know? So then you get back into a corner of, this is only happening to me. Um, and it sinks you even deeper into despair because you feel like no one understands and no one. But then when we found out it's very it's a very common thing. It's not that, that it makes it better, but you realize at least you're not alone. And there's people that you can talk to and confide in. But what can you do? I mean, here's a burden. If you try to carry it, it'll take you out. That way you don't even have you're not even allowed to have control in that area. And we did what we could. We met with doctors. Um, I remember. Um, I think a couple of children that we have now, Kanika was put on progesterone to try to help her hormonal levels hold the baby and all of those different things. So we did what we could, but we relinquished control. We said, Lord, your word says be fruitful and multiply. We want to be obedient to your word, um, Lord. So we need you to help us. We've had four miscarriages. We want to have more children because we had two children. Then we had four miscarriages. Oh my God. Um, so it was kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like it the, works. We've got two. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, here's the thing 
is you start having success and then you lose dependence. Mm. And so we had sick, we had two children. And so we just decided, okay, now it's time to have another child again. Like it's our decision. You know what I mean? We, we started moving without God. We, we, we do not purposefully, but we're not thinking about it because we've had success. Okay. Now it's time to have another kid. We, you know, we've got that two year gap. Let's go ahead and go for that. So we're just planning away. And then God put us back in the position by allowing those miscarriages to say, oh, wait a minute. This is a God thing. Having a baby is a miraculous event. This is not something that you just can just, you know, and so we depended on God. We prayed about it. We had faith in it, but we also relinquished it. We knew that outside of just what the doctor tells us to do, that ultimately it's God's decision if we're going to have more than two children and we continue to try but we relinquish the outcome and therefore relinquish a lot of the burden. Yeah. I think that goes back to exactly what you said in fighting. It is spiritual first. That's right. And, and as you said, the previous Jonathan was more self-dependent and self-reliant because you're capable. And as my dad says, when you're good looking and capable, watch out. Because yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it'll get ahead of you and you won't even know it. And then bam, something that's like right. four miscarriages and you're going, oh, Lord, something's got to change. And I love how you highlight the transformation process, because I do remember watching my dad and your dad sit next to each other at your mom's funeral. And and your talk was so authentic, Jonathan. Thank you for that, for being so real going back to that point, you've wrestled a lot with God. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now who are wrestling and who are angry. Speak into that space because you have been right there. Yeah. Well, I want them to know that it's okay. God can handle it. Um, the Bible says to come before him with an unveiled face. In other words, don't hide because you can't hide from it any anyway. And he wants to know, uh, the nuances of how you feel. And a lot of people will think to themselves, well, why should I even have to pray? God knows everything. Um, he should just come through. No, he wants to hear from you. It's like a, you know, a, a mother, a mother knows that she'll go pick the baby up when the baby cries, but she doesn't go pick the baby up until the baby cries. Mm -hmm. And so it's not until we cry out and until God hears from us that he'll make certain decisions in certain timing, uh, which he's proved to do um, in his word. And so I think that the grappling with God is when we really get the higher experience of the, the dialogue of prayer and not the monologue of prayer. Most of our prayers, prayer life is a monologue and not a dialogue. Because when you're not down in the dumps far enough, you don't grapple long enough mm. to be able to hear God communicate to you through his word and through his spirit and how he leads you and guides you. And so I think that that communication that we have in our marriages, sometimes it's a grapple to get on the same page, but it also strengthens you to understand the page that you need to be on and when to turn it. And I think that that same grapple in our relationship with God, pray without ceasing, doesn't mean to just do it when you're happy. Pray without ceasing means do it in season and out of season. All the time. And all the time. And, and God wants that. He desires that because of the relationship. And while you may not get all of your answers in detail, especially when it comes to death and loss, mm. all of the whys and uh, why did you allow this and all of those different things, God will allow his spirit to fill you with a comfort and a sense of faith um, in the victory that you have in Jesus Christ to do what players do 
Uh, you see, when players have players that retire, they're always grieved about it because they played with them for so long. Yeah. But until they take off the uniform, they're required to put their head down and do the best that they can do until they retire too. Retirement is not mutually exclusive to any player. It just happens at different times. That can be a shock. That can be appalling. That can uh, make you cry. That can make you sad. At the same time, God still has the uniform on you. And he still expects you to go out and play hard on the field until your retirement comes as well. And that's what God has put on me. Let me go out there and use my experiences to continue to play hard to advance his kingdom so that I can get what my mom got. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah, she was just amazing. Um, I love the story that you gave about the tea, uh, the, between dipping and abiding. And by the way, I do want to know her recipe for macaroni and cheese. <laughs> it sounded amazing. Uh, but, what, but what you write in the book is wonderful. It says, uh, your mom was a tea drinker and so was her grandmother. So was your grandmother. And you said there are two different kinds of tea drinkers. You have, this is your mom speaking. You have me, the abider. What I do is I take my tea bag and just drop it in the water. I don't mess with it. I leave it alone. The tea will infuse the water and they become one. And when that happens, you cannot separate the two. If you just leave the tea bag in there and let it marinate, you will have strong tea. Then there's the other kind, the dipper. Those people dip the tea bag in and out, in and out, because they think if the, darker, the water is darker, the tea must be stronger. They don't realize while dipping gives it the color, it does not give them the strength of the tea. I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. As you're reading well, that, I'm reminded of, of my mom's words and I'm thinking, man, that's that's exactly what it is because you, you, you're getting the, you're doing the work and, and, and really it is a, it is a camouflaged reality <sighs> that many people live or they're dipping in a church, they're, they dip in on Sunday, dip out on Monday, they dip into this, dip out of that. And so they're doing the activity, but is it, it is a camouflage reality of the true strength that it takes to walk through battles. The true strength that it takes to walk through battles, it doesn't come from dipping. It just, it just makes you look like you can handle the battle. The, two, the true strength of being able to hand, handle a battle is if you abide in me and my word abides in you, okay? It comes from the abiding concept of this is where I live. Sometimes it's, it's hard, sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's happy, but either way, this is where I live. And because this is where I live, I don't forsake my training just because I'm in a trial. Well, and notice that the only way for the tea to be infused in the water, it's gotta be hot. That's right. That's right. That's right. So you're carrying your, it on now. You got to sit your butt right in there and stay in there, <laughs> even though it's hot. But that's, that's the right. only way it gets melted out. That's um, right. Talk to us about now how you approach frustrations and challenges and battles versus how you did before. I know that you are different. I mean, you're you're obviously filled with God's word. Every other sentence is a passage of scripture. As you face things, it's sometimes hard not to be a little bit afraid, like, God, I'm afraid of this battle that's gonna come, that yeah. giant that your son was looking at. How do you keep fear from invading? Yeah, fear is um, looking at what God is calling you to face or do and staring at your insufficiencies in light of it. So uh, fear is, basically a different form of pride. We don't normally think about pride as um, 
as being too low of your too low on yourself. Like um, we think of pride as thinking too high of yourself, but pride is really just thinking about yourself. So whether you think too high of yourself or too low of yourself, if you're still the object that determines whether middle. you follow God, you're still in the middle. So, you're, so, so really fear is I see what I'm supposed to do, but I'm looking at my insufficiencies in light of what I'm supposed to do. And Moses had that fear. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God had to turn his attention. He said, and Moses was saying, am I? And God, a few verses later said, who cares about that? I am. So all he did was switch the position of the personal pronoun to let him know where he should be positioned in the life of the person. And uh, God is like, I'm going to handle it. Okay. God is like, I, I, I'm going to take it. If you let me take this, cast your cares upon me and I will sustain you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And I will make your path straight. There are so many I wills in the Bible that Christians don't experience because they're looking at themselves and not looking at God. And your greatest accomplishments will always be right on the other side of your greatest fears. Your greatest accomplishments will always be on the other side of your greatest fears. That is because we kick ourselves out of the throne seat, isn't it? That's right. We take we take ourselves right out. I mean, people don't accomplish a lot in their life as it relates to battles and getting through those things and even just purpose and destiny and things that they want to do because they're looking at themselves and then and they make and they let themselves forget about God. Yeah. Well, they're capable. And, and we have to become very insufficient. I, one of the things that you talk about is the season of over and over and over. And oh, you, yeah. yes, you referenced coming out of Egypt. Talk to us about that because that was so good as, as the waves continue to come in on trials. We think, well, God, I just got through that. And how come we got another one? Tell me about that. What, what yeah. you wrote on that was great. Yeah, definitely. They were in that season. You, you know, they just, they're saved now. They, they, the one sent from God, Moses, goes and gets the people out of Egypt. They get out of there. He performs all the miracles to let them know that, hey, I'm the guy. You should trust me. It's replication of what Jesus Christ was sent from God, performed all the miracles. I'm the guy. You can trust me. And they get saved. They decide to follow Moses out of the place of bondage. But that doesn't mean that there's not a wilderness. That doesn't mean that once you get saved, everything now is just okay. Well, now you hit the journey to the promise. Now you hit the journey of experiencing the salvation that you received coming out of Egypt. Now you have to go through the process and they became extreme complainers because they had an expectation that they shouldn't have, that following Christ means that everything's gonna be okay. That getting out of Egypt means that everything's gonna be just fine. And they hit a season of, of you know coming to the the Red Sea and having that deal, uh, coming to places where they were, didn't know whether they were going to be fed or not. Then they get to uh, a place called uh, Rephidim in Exodus 17, and there's no water there, and they wanted to stone Moses because there's no water there. And uh, as soon as the water came and all the people drank, then it says Amalek came to fight against Israel at at Rephidim, and so now they went from dehydrated to getting hydrated to now having to fight and not only fight they had to fight against Amalek well, well Amalek is family <laughs> Amalek is the family of, of Esau which makes it Jacob's you know what I mean uh 
Yeah, great, now we're, now we're family fighting. <laughs> yeah, so now it's a family fight. Amalek is Esau, and Esau's Jacob's brother, and Jacob's Israel. So, so now it's a family war. So, God, I've been saved. I'm trying to follow you. I got fights with my family. I got the people at home or the, the, the battle that I'm having to face. Certainly, my battle should be outside of my house. Well, the people of Israel would say, well, we didn't have it any different. We had to fight our own family just to try to get to the promises that God called us in our life. And so they had one thing after another that was happening to them on their journey. But one thing that I wanted to point out is that in their journey, there was manna, the Red Sea was split, uh, they were dehydrated, God gave them water, then Amalek showed. So God's grace was sufficient the entire time. It's just that the battle would always override the grace that they had received uh, because they were so focused on what they were going through that they were never able to see what they came through. What? Yeah, that's so good because you talk about expectation. I think expectation right. can ruin faith faster right. than about anything. I mean, certainly trials, but it's the expectation. I would have right. this trial. Yes, people have a false expectation of Christianity. And it's not until you follow Christ that things get really hard. Sometimes it's not until you go all in that the enemy really attacks or that Isn't you're that a really bummer? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I we, want it to, we want it to be like, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm on your side. He's like, good. Now you're walking out of Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Now you're now you're fighting the fight. He says, if I, your master, suffered, what do you think is going to happen to you when you followed me? What happened to the disciples when they followed him and went into the book of Acts and was just doing what he called them to do? And so following Christ, Jesus didn't lie to us. He said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. For sure. You, you haven't made it to eternity yet. You haven't gotten to the land flowing with milk and honey yet. Right now, you're on the journey of completing the work that I already started when I got you out of Egypt. And so you're going to have those troubles. The question is, are you going to carry the burden and manipulate all of the outcomes? Or are you going to lean on the God that had the power to save you to begin with and become a steward as I bring you through what I decided to save you to? Oh, sometimes the, it is so hard because you're so thirsty. I'm thinking of Elijah, how God led him to the river Cherith. That dried up, fed him by the raven. That was the filthiest bird. I'm like, God, that's amazing. I would think you would like provide a buffet. <laughs> but he was preparing him for moving forward in King Ahab. Who would have wanted to go yeah. against him? So right. you're talking about spiritual training. It's like physical weightlifting. If you're going to play the game, you got to build the muscle. And this is a tough game. And if people don't realize that life is a tough game, and the way that you get through it is by allowing the allowing what God see my mom would always tell me your greatest ministry will always come out of your greatest misery God say, doesn't say that again she said your greatest ministry will always come right out of your greatest misery so you you have to understand that your misery is the training, the producing perseverance, the book of James says, in order to handle the ministry that God is calling you to. I remember uh, Joseph, he was in a pit and uh, it says that the pit was empty without any water in it. So it gives you the details of his pit. It doesn't just tell you he was in a bad place. It tells you he was in an empty place where there was no food, no water, nothing 
regular that can um, supply his needs. Well, when he got to the palace, what did Pharaoh put him over? Pharaoh put him over a famine, but God let him experience a famine so that he would know what it feels like when he ministers in a famine. See, God always connects the dots of your battle so that you're appropriate for ministry. And then we serve a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize because he experienced the valley himself. People don't realize that Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not already done. From the day he was born, they tried to kill him. In his own hometown, they tried to throw him off of a cliff. The Pharisees tried to stone him. His own people rejected him. The person close to him uh, betrayed him. His whole life was trauma. His whole life just was awful. (laughs) Exactly, his whole life. People were looking at the miracles and all that, and he still wasn't accepted. Yeah. And so his whole life was trauma. And he hit a valley. He said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He had any, he had times of emotionalism. He cried over the death of Lazarus. He had times where you see him and his personhood really grapple with where he was called to go and the battle he was called to fight. And then Philippians 2 says, for this reason, God highly exalted him. See, so people want to get exalted, but they don't realize that there's always a pit prior to that exaltation. Yeah, they don't realize that the pit has to come before the promises arrive, before God is fulfilling it. Because like you said, uh, Joseph had to know what famine was like, and he did. Because that empathy is critical when we are walking in community together. I love the point where you say an obedience in the valley is tough, and you need three things. The power of heaven, the power of community, power of spiritual purpose perspective. Talk to me about each of those. Yes. And so uh, grasping the power of heaven. Well, that has to do with in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so grasping his word and realizing that in our flesh, that there is still a connection of grasping the word, which is the, the which is the sword. It is the only offensive weapon that we have uh, to fight. And so if you don't have a handle of that sword, then how do you fight when there's so many swords coming against you? And so you want to grasp, you want to grasp heaven. You also want to grasp community. You see, a lot of people don't realize that this is a team game. (laughs) You got the enemy coming at you with all of his goons. And here you are uh, sitting over here in a corner by yourself. And the enemy, it's like, uh, blood in the water to a shark. When he sees somebody going through someone, sitting in their depression, going through something, sitting in their depression and their anxiety and doing it alone, he knows he can attack your heart and attack your emotions and get you to do what he purposed for, for Job to do, deny God. That was the purpose is for, the, for him to fall away uh, from the faith. And that's yeah. the way the enemy wants you to attack. The Bible says the brother is born for a time of adversity. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, bear one another's burdens, fulfilling the law of Christ and loving one another. And so you are never meant to walk this thing alone, but to be lifted up. Moses said, I'll go to the top of the mountain, but I have to go to the top of the mountain with Aaron and her. I need somebody there to lift up my hands when the spiritual perspective gets heavy. Because it's hard to be spiritual when you're facing so much physically. It's hard to be spiritual when you're tired. It's hard to be spiritual when your spouse is fighting you. It's hard to be spiritual with a wayward child who's who's wayward but still wants stuff from you. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, hard to pay be my spiritual. bills while I go get all these exactly. tickets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's hard to maintain the spiritual perspective, yeah. but the spiritual perspective 
is maintained with community and a touch from heaven. In other words, dependency on God's word with community helps hold up your hands when you're fighting a battle. Yeah. And that, Jonathan, what were some of your most um, fortifying community experiences? Yeah, I think that that's a, a great question. One of the things that I have in this book is I have uh, QR codes throughout the I book. love that. Yes, I, it's after every three chapters. It's wonderful. Uh, yep, after every three chapters is a QR code because I want to walk, I want to provide that community here in the book. And so you scan the QR code, it's going to be a video of me talking about a trial or something I went through. Uh, one of the QR codes is me and Kanika and my wife talking about our four miscarriages. Another one is talking about my struggle learning in school and, and how that test became a testimony. And so I won't give it all away, but it's an experience, it's experience of community realizing that your story matters. Your story needs to be shared. Your story is a benefit to others who think that they're walking alone. And I've had that in my life. Uh, one of the things that um, was specific to that was when we uh, faced our losses, when we had our losses, um, the fact that we were able to come together as a family and some uh, really close family friends to get away, to talk about our feelings, to talk about what we went through, uh, to talk about how we feel, to talk about what we miss, to do that alone, I mean... Isolation. Uh, yeah, isolation is the devil's workshop, I think. That's right. It's John 10, 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what do they do? They get the one sheep that's wandered off. He's that's alone. Right. That's right. And that's when that's you what the prowling lion does. Is he's looking for the one that's by himself that's the weakest. And it happens so that's fast. Exactly but yes, right. here is your QR code right there. And it's that's just, right. it's just wonderful that you have brought people into your story. Now tell me when you get down, Jonathan. What's your go-to now versus before? Before it was more self-dependence, more like I can do this, I'm capable, I'm strong. Now you have a position of being surrendered. Yes, and I think that it's important that go-to, well, I'll tell you, um, one of my go-tos, first and foremost in my life is my wife. Mm. Uh, I I, I'm able to have an open door policy with her, which is very important for our relationship. And I go in and I tell her my fears, what I don't think I can accomplish, what my struggles are, what I'm feeling, whether that's just by myself, even in our relationship with our kids and all of those different things. And I just allow her to tell me how she thinks and feels, give me some perspective. Um, she always says, we're a team. This is where we're going. This is how we're going to do it. You're going to be just fine. I'm with you. I understand. And so just being able to be at home in community is very important. And a lot of people struggle in that area because they have dissension in the home. So they got to go outside of the home to try to fix things. And there's no, there's no camaraderie in the home. So you come home and bottle up when you're supposed to be able to come home and take the cork off the bottle. <laughs> and so- yep. I think that it should be a, um, a safe place, but then she also gives me great perspective. If you can't name who your community is, it's because you don't have. I have uh, Maurice Moore, uh, Delario Bolton, uh, Courtney Walker, Trey Nelson, uh, Marvin Walker, um, uh, Chad Johnson, a lot of people that I can call at the drop of a dime who I can talk to about what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, and I'm comfortable there, and I can allow them uh, to speak in my life, whether it was my losses, my football career, whether it was my uh, 
what I'm going through now and 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 the transition here uh, at our church. Me speaking the whole month of August while my dad is on vacation. And you did uh, a great job because I watched I watched the sermon yesterday. It was just so good. I'm like, look at him. He's already up there. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that is a transition. It is. It's just uh, you know getting more responsibility. Uh, being you know being the baby your whole life. I'm the I'm the I don't know how many babies of the family will be watching this, but. Uh, it's best position into the house until and, and 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 until you have all the responsibility thrown on you because you're not you used have to, to grow it. up. Yeah, until yeah, you have to grow up. The babies of the family are like <laughs> we're just sitting back, relaxing with our feet crossed. This is great. Now, now it's time, and then you you know you you kind of clam up. Um, but it's uh it, it's been fun, and and that's that's the way I use community. I think it's important. What do you think uh, damages community? Because you talk about, I go to these people and I can be myself. I can say what I want to say. I can feel what I want to feel. And, and there's freedom and safety. That's rare though, especially yeah. in the church. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to find. And it's something, first of all, that I went after. I didn't okay. just passively wait. Um, I went after it. I went after it and I found guys that I can trust. And of course you build that trust over time and relationship, um, same walk of life. But I think one of the most damaging things to community is people don't understand um, the, the judgment that normally comes in in the Christian context as it relates to people's story, where they come from, their past, what they're dealing with now, is that they don't feel supported, they feel judged. Um, they feel like this is not a safe place. And then once you feel judged in a place where everybody needed to be in the hospital. Exactly. How are you going to feel bad about being sick in a place everybody's sick? Everybody at some point had to come to the doctor um, to figure out how to get well. Yeah. And you come in sick and they're looking at you like you shouldn't be in here. You know, if a person is out of shape and they come into a gym and all of the people in the gym look at them like, why are you in here? That doesn't make sense. That's what the gym is for. If a person comes into a hospital and we've spent all this time cleaning the hospital, um, going through our religious activities to make sure we spray the windows and disinfect everything. And then someone sick comes into the hospital and we look at them like, you're gonna mess up all the things that we've achieved. We forgot the point. And that's what the church does. A lot of times we get so caught up in all the things that we've achieved and cleaning everything and making everything look clean as a whistle that we look crazy at the people who come in who are sick and we forget, oh, this is actually a hospital. It's not just about the traditions and religious re religiosity that we put around it. And I think until we get to a place where we realize who we are, what we're called to do, um, then true community in this day and time is going to be hard to find. Yeah. And I think that pride word gets in there because that's like for me with a son with disabilities, we are, we're never normal. And so we want, he may look, and appear that way. But what it reveals to me is we are all that way. We're all not functioning as God created us to function. That's We're right. all on this side of heaven, incapable of understanding the truths of God's word and his passage and, and hope that he provides. And when we embrace that, then there's humility. Right, no doubt about it. There's humility. And just recognizing that all of this is the story of redemption. And so 
the entire Bible, recognizing that the fall of Adam and Eve means everything's turned upside down. It's why we experience what we experience, the trauma in our marriages, with our children, the upside downness in our culture, until it's restored again in the future, um, you're, we're going to experience these hard times, these trials, tribulations, things are going to be toil that were meant to be uh, uh, fun originally in the garden, the cultivation and all of those different things have turned upside down since the fall of Adam and Eve, because the original intent of God was taken away by Adam and Eve's decision. And one day that's going to be restored in the end. Until then, we're in a journey. And as a part of God's armies, uh, as a part of God's army, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared. And we can't think um, that when we get accept Christ, that we're supposed to just head back into the garden. It doesn't work like that. No, we're I still so living. wish it did, but it does not. You are yeah, you no, are walking out of Egypt and you're in the wilderness. That's right. That's where we are right now until God restores this thing. And until he restores it or I leave here first, our job is to fight in it. And our job is to play our roles in it. And our job is to not be so consumed by our trial that we don't get to experience our right here, right now triumph. Yes. And you, I love that you talk about do not be defined by the trial because the trial is essential for the triumph. That's right. That's it's, it right there. It's essential. So as we close, Jonathan, I could talk to you all day like I could talk to your sister all day. Um, speak to that person who has been judged, who is feeling alone, who has lost something that they never anticipated, whether it's a child, a loved one, a job, money, whatever it is. Speak to that person who is wanting to just say, forget it all. Yeah. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. David was rejected. He became king. Joseph was thrown into a pit. He was uh, second in command uh, in the palace. Ruth was destitute. Now she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Rahab had a bad past, but then she believed in the true God and didn't give up, married Salmon, and she uh, was in the lineage of David, which is the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, Gideon didn't think he could do it, but uh, God told him just to have faith in me, and he went out there and defeated an army with only 300 men. On and on in the Bible, you have people, and you can find them in Hebrews chapter 11, who walked by faith, not by feel, walked by faith, not by sight, walked by faith, not by circumstances, walked by faith, not by situations. And by faith, it is possible to please the Lord. By faith, it is possible to see the work that he started in you come to completion. If you throw in the towel, all you've done is allow the enemy to win when God had a gold medal at, at, at the end of it all. But we don't a lot of times get to experience God's promises because we settle in the problems. We settle with giving up. We settle with throwing in a towel. We settle with letting our heart lead the way instead of letting the truth lead the way. And then we're never able to be taken to our ministry because we gave up in the misery. Do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord. And know, watch this, that it will not go in vain. Just keep going. Oh, amen. Jonathan, this is so good. Where can people find you? I mean, I, it's not hard, but but go ahead and tell us where to find you. Yeah, Jonathan Blake Evans. My middle name is Blake. You use those to find me on my website, jonathanblakeevans.com. Uh, Jonathan Blake Evans Instagram, uh, YouTube channel, a lot of content there, Jonathan Blake Evans. 
and you can find uh, where to purchase the book on those links as well. And so it'll be a, definitely a, a great work for your life and, and speak to you and anybody else. And it's for, I just want to say that it's also for groups. Um, you know, I did a right now media uh, Bible study with it. Sure. Yeah. It's got a workbook with it. And so you can do it as groups and life groups and really have great conversations around it. It's so real. It comes out in September, doesn't it? That's right. About yep. September 9th is where you'll see it coming out. Congratulations on finishing that, but even more, thank you for not giving up and for fighting that battle because you encourage all of us to keep fighting in the way that God wants us to fight. Surrendered, entrusted, empowered. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. If you haven't connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, we'd love to see you there. If you're looking to find a community of caregivers for advice, counsel, and soul care, join our free caregiver support group on Facebook. If you'd like to watch Colleen's interviews instead of listening only, you can find us on YouTube. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.